Well, those kids without action figure shows sure are busy this week. You're listening to episode number 53 of the Action Figure Blues podcast, brought to you by ShelfLife.net and ActionFigureBlues.com. Tonight, we talked to sculptor Tim Miller about his career and the DC Collectibles DC Bombshell statue line. Well, we are delighted to be joined by sculptor Tim Miller. As we work through this, you may realize that you're familiar with Tim's work from some of the famous pieces that he's done, but we are really interested in talking to him tonight about the new line that he's working on, which is the DC Bombshell Statue Series from DC Collectibles. But first of all, Tim, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, well, we really appreciate you making the time. Before we get to the Bombshells series, we'd be really keen just to hear a little bit about um, yourself and uh, your career to this point. So, first of all, just in terms of your background, how did you fall into this sculpting superheroes gig? Um, well, I'll try to condense this down. Uh, my senior year of college, I was a biology major, oh, and I was working... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I was working every odd job on college on uh, campus, and uh, I was working at a mu- at the gallery on campus. And they had a traveling exhibition come in that was all Americana through puppetry. And this odd character comes in, and he's got hundreds and hundreds of puppets, <laughs> and. Um, you know, everything from stuff that dated back 300 years to, uh, to the Muppets. And, uh, it was, a, a, a like I said, just a traveling exhibition. We ended up having a lot of special effects artists from, uh, Lucas's ILM and other companies like that coming through. And I ended up making friends with a couple of these guys, uh, effects artists. And I was already planning on taking a couple of years off of after college before applying to medical school and sort of fell in with these, these weirdos and, uh, just kind of picked up sculpting as a went at, kind of on a whim and, you know, as kind of a hobby sort of thing. And I didn't know that what they were doing was a specialized skill. Um, it was just sort of, it was my naivete and, um, so within about a year of graduating from college, I was working for a small special effects company in Northern California and uh, designing animatronics and stuff like that. Classes like physics and, you know, things like that sort of played into it. Hmm. And, yeah, it was just kind of a, kind of a weird way to get into to sculpting. And it looked like what the sculptors for the company were doing was the most fun. So I'd get home from work and sit there with sit in front of the television for four or five hours in the evening playing with super sculpty and eventually i want to say probably when i left the company five and a half years in i was uh the sculpting supervisor for the company wow so yeah that's fantastic and so you obviously made a very big change in terms of the path that you thought that your life was going to go on. Um, Absolutely. How how did your, your family react to that? Uh, my mother was very disappointed that I didn't go into medical school. Hmm. Um, and it, it took a while from, for my parents to, to kind of get it. Hmm. Um, but now they're, you know, they're absolutely thrilled and, uh, you know, uh, it's been, I think, only every once in a while during a Grey's Anatomy episode do I do I start to think like what did I do? So yeah, mm. I think you probably chose something with a lot less stress. Like <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, probably different so, stresses, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there there there's a certain level of stress when fans are talking about your piece online, and I I'm not a fan of my own work. I, you know, I look at I look at work of guys like Mark Newman or Joe Mena, 
um, or, or Jason Smith. And I look at the stuff that they're doing. I'm like, Oh my God, I wish I could do something like that. Um, and there actually, there's a, a guy that I just discovered on, on Facebook recently that the guy is absolutely phenomenal and I can't think of his name right now. Sorry. But, uh, he's awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I'm looking at him, I'm going like, man, if I could scope like that guy. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But at the same time, I'm glad that companies like DC want to work with me. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so do you have your, your studio at home or do you work somewhere else or I actually, for the most part, um, I work at my kitchen table. Really? Oh, cool. I, yeah, I really do. That's um, awesome. because the way my house is structured, I can, actually watch TV in the living room from the kitchen table. <laughs> and my wife has finally gotten over the fact that we have to have dinner at the coffee table. <laughs> <laughs> and do you still sculpt in super sculpty or do you? Oh God, no. <laughs> no, there's only a couple of guys that really make that work. Guys like Mark Newman. Uh, I, I tease Mark about this, that um, the stuff he does in super sculpty is, I, there's something preternatural about mm. his super sculpy abilities. I think it's his mutant power. <laughs> because, um, I just don't have the patience to get that kind of detail out yeah. of super sculpt. I, I work in uh, right now I'm working in monster clay for 80% of the work. And then I cast into uh, Ralph Cordero's uh, toxic moms wax mm-hmm. and uh, given a little shout out to both companies there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and I can do all of the really super detailed work in, uh, in the, in the wax. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah. Super sculpty. It's for me. It's just, I, if I had hair, I'd be tearing it out. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> John, are you, are you one of the, uh, the chosen few that can't, can't grow hair on the top of your head? Yes, exactly. Anywhere it's else. Lovely. Yes. But just yeah. not on the top of my head. Hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And, yeah, ears, nose. It's wonderful. Yeah, we, we never make fun of him about it either. No, <laughs> no, never. No, because we're. You know, huge. I, I like the expression that you know, um, God made a few perfect heads, and the rest he covered with hair. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I wanted to ask you about when you're talking about your your sculpting process, when when you're doing something like this. Um, you know, I can see the process for a digital sculpture in terms of getting approval on stuff and um, sending the final product is a, a lot easier because it's electronic. It, how does that work for you in terms of the the approval process and then how you actually get the final product to the company? I send a whole lot of photos. Mm-hmm. Um, any any given sculpture, there's going to be several hundred photos taken of the process, and then. Um, Usually I'm sending the wax off to someone like Jason Wires or Ralph Cordero for, for mold making and casting, and then they'll send resin copies to the company. Um, and then that gets shipped off to Asia. Um, you know, in, in general, it's just, like I said, it's, it's lots and lots of photos and, you know, companies that I like working with, they, they sort of trust that the photos are good enough. Mm. Although, um, back when I was working on the Adam Hughes line for sideshow collectibles, um, Adam at one point he had, he had bought a new camera that was like really high end. And because Adam was also part of the, the approval process Mm. and Adam sent me his older camera to me and said, yeah, the photos you you're currently taking, they're crap. Uh And uh, so hopefully you can take some better photos with this camera. And so I, I take my photos with a really nice camera, but, um, you know, maybe one out of every four photos actually come out looking kind of decent. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a terrible photographer. I, I kind of wish I could take some, some photography classes, but I'm also like either too lazy or just too wrapped up in my own work to actually take the time to go take a photography class. <laughs> And when you get to that point where you're actually sending the physical item off, is mm-hmm. that a is that a bit of a scary process just in terms of what happens to it from that point or uh, yeah. Um fortunately guys like Ralph Cordero and Jason Wires are um 
they're both very capable sculptors in their own right. And, uh, so I know that if I send something off, if it, if it arrives fractured, um, mm. they can, they can usually repair the damage, but I've, I've, you know, I'm going to knock on wood here, um, or at the, you know, uh, close facsimile of wood <laughs> on my cabinet. Um, that fortunately I've not had a whole lot of damage in the last few years. Um, I package things in like upholstery foam and stuff like that. And, you know, basically make sure that you could run over this thing with a Mack truck and hopefully not do any, any damage. <laughs> Let's not test that out. <laughs> Hence the knocking on the composite wood of my cabinet. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, you mentioned the work that you've done for Sideshow, and obviously um, m- many people would be familiar with your work through the Adam Hughes comic hits um, and some of the premium format statues that you've done. Um, in, in that process, <clears throat> I guess looking at the Adam Hughes line first, how, how did that come about? Did they contact you, or um, did, and did you sculpt the whole line or only some of the pieces? Um, most of the pieces are mine. Yeah. Um, and the, how long can I go on about this? Yeah, that's fine. We can always, yeah. <laughs> okay. we can always chop it out uh, if you get boring. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, when I found out now, uh, most people that really know me know that I don't collect comic books mm. and I don't know comic books. Most of the time I'm having to like Wikipedia, the characters when I'm, given a design, but I was familiar with Adam's work years ago from something that he had like something that had been in like a spectrum uh, book or something like that. And when I found out that sideshow was, uh, working with Adam at the time I was doing just portraits for them because I'd been a a portrait sculptor for McFarlane. I've done something like seven or 800 portraits just for them alone. And, um, so I asked, sideshow i talked to my project manager i said hey look i know you guys are doing this stuff with adam hughes i'd love to do some of these pieces they're Mm. you know i i just i really love adam's work would love to work on them and their response to me was essentially um we like to think that we play to our strengths and we play to our artist's strengths and you're a portrait sculptor so um no piss off (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Uh, you're you're going to get more portrait work, and that's about it. <laughs> and um, a few months after that conversation, they brought me out to uh, L.A. for Star Wars Celebration 4. And one evening, you know, there's a bunch of a bunch of sideshow guys sitting around the table. We're all at a bar that um, it's away from the convention. So it's like where all of the industry professionals are and like the next table over Kenny Baker sitting with his entourage and two tables over it's Peter Mayhew and his entourage and Ray Park and Tamira Morrison are sitting at our table and we're all BSing and I'm sitting there next to Adam Hughes and, you know, we're sort of doing like the mutual admiration society kind of thing. And, um, and I told Adam, I, I was very frank about it. I said, look, Sideshow is never going to put us together on a project, but I love your work. And I found out during that conversation that Adam was collecting the star Wars stuff that I was doing. And, um, so like, look, let's, let's just do some stuff on our own just for kicks. We're never going to produce it. Lucasfilm's never going to license it, but let's just do it just, just because. And, um, and Adam was totally on board with it. Well, Sideshow serendipitously, well, forget I tried to use that word. Um, Sideshow found out that I, that, you know, we were talking about working together and they said, well, shoot, if they're going to work together anyway, let's go ahead, put Miller on a project and see what he does. And um, that was the Adam Hughes rogue. And since then, I've not done any other portraits and I just do sexy women. So. So the Adam Hughes rug was the first one. Yeah, um, and that, I had done. That is amazing. I, I had done full figures before with other companies, like uh, I had done a bunch of Wizard of Oz stuff and things like that. 
But after I was doing work for McFarlane, nobody else was hiring me to do full figure work. It was all just like, oh, he's the portrait guy. Mm. And, uh, you know, and you can imagine my my hand language there as I'm talking about. <laughs> the port- Air quotes. Uh, yes, okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, so after after that rogue piece, like suddenly nobody's hiring me to do portraits. And, you know, thankfully so, because you've got guys like Trevor Grove that, you know, make the rest of us look like, you know, kindergarten sculptors, you know, playing with like, you know, silly little Play-Doh trying to do sculpture, trying to do portraits. Um, yeah. I want to, I want to ask you about one of your portraits cause, uh, it's pretty cool. And there's people to be mad at me if I didn't ask, how, how do you, how did you approach the Cobra commander one? Because that's, that's pretty neat. And you know, there's, there's only so much reference out there for them that exists in the real world. Um, I, I was really hoping you were going to ask about Palpatine, but okay. Uh, <laughs> um, Cobra Commander was interesting because there was like, okay, you've got this guy in a shroud, and um, I want to say it was is it Brad? Uh, shoot, now I got a Wikipedia. The dude, um, Broad Street. That's it. Um, it's, it's based on a broad street illustration and, you know, they basically said here, we want you to do this portrait, but it's this guy like with his face completely enshrouded with, you know, a big, you know, washcloth. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's, that's obviously, you know, one of the issues. I mean, how do you, you've, you've portrayed a quite a bit of menace, you know, in his eyes and stuff there that, that comes across. So. Um, I have to say, well done. Well, well thank you. Thank you, John. I'm sure, I'm sure um, there's plenty of G.I. Joe fans out there that agree with me. <laughs> quickest, the quickest answer is I, I threw it. I, I basically poured up a bunch of wax on a flat cookie sheet. And I made it as thin as I possibly could. And then I started laying it in. And this is a process I owed to Gene St. Gene, who uh, he had been the sculpting supervisor over at McFarland before he started doing stuff for diamond select and DC, um, because this is how he does capes. Um, so I, I basically took a bunch of really super thin wax and started laying it around a portrait that I may have used from a different piece that I just kind of like shaved off the hair and then made the eyes a little more crazy. Um, it was it was kind of a a different project for me, and it was it's one of those that um, when it came to me, I was like, "Really, you want me to do this? Why why wouldn't you use these guys that do much better drapery and you know fabric stuff?" So um, it was it was cool to get to work on, but it was also one of those pieces where I was like, "Why are you guys giving me this?" Cause, <laughs> There are better. There are guys that are better at doing this kind of stuff than me. So, um, and th- and that happens occasionally. I'm, you know, I I think there's a lot. Again, going back to the whole, I'm not a fan of my own work. I think there's a lot of guys out there that are a lot better at doing pinup or portraits than than me. And I'm always kind of surprised when stuff sort of lands in my lap and like, really, you you guys are dumb. So, <laughs> hey, you got to take the opportunity to. <laughs> but at least I get to pay my mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, which is always good. <laughs> and eat. That's the other important one. You know, it's it's sort of like if someone if someone were to come to me and be like, oh, we, you know, we were considering Eris Colacentes for doing a demon, but we'd really rather have you do it. I'd be like, yeah, you should probably just work with Eris. <laughs> So in these pieces, like talking about the the sideshow stuff, how much freedom do you get in terms of um, the – obviously the Hughes stuff was um, recreating his poses. Um, But when you look at something like the Ms. Marvel premium format figure, for example, which is a a favorite piece of mine, um, how much freedom do you get in terms of the pose and styling or how much is the art direction? That is a fantastic question. Uh, the The short answer is none. Um, <laughs> the, the longer answer is, um, I I think that I inadvertently take liberties with with pieces, <laughs> with the exception of 
the bombshell line because I've really tried to to keep true to Aunt Lucia's illustrations because I love them so much, and I, I think as you know, as I mature as a sculptor, I I try to stay really true to the the source material. Um, that said, um, Adam Hughes's wife Allison Sohn once said about my work versus Jack Matthews, who was, was it Jack Matthews or John? Jack. Yeah. Jack. Yeah. Um, Jack's work on the DC um, cover girls line that he was doing of, of Adam's work. Allison said that I sculpt real women as if they were Adam Hughes's work and Jack sculpts Adam's work as if it were stepping off the page. Hmm. And I, and I really, I was troubled by this initially. And I asked side, the guys at Sideshow, I said, you know, do you want me to keep doing what I'm doing or do you want me to do a direct translation or a direct sculpt from Adam's work? And they said, no, no, we like what you're doing. Go ahead and keep, keep with it. But um, like I said, I was really troubled by that because I'd like to think that I can sculpt whatever I'm given without having to do a translation. Hmm. Uh, um, but in, in Adam's case, it really was, it was, it was a translation of his work. Um, so I'd like to say that I don't get any leeway, but in, in truth I do. <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of, of, of flex and, you know, push and pull in, in getting things done. And like with the bombshells line, what we're trying to do is, um, eventually we're probably going to go a little more uber realistic with the sculptures, whether or not that happens. I don't know, because I don't know what's going on with my sculpting anyway. Um, (laughs) but even, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I I was just going to say that, you know, ultimately we'll probably putting, we'll probably be putting a little more definition into, Ants work or ants designs, um, and and that's probably just you know like I look at some of the stuff that I've done that's like uber realistic, um, or you know uh, compared to the stylized stuff that ant ant does, and we'll probably be going with a more realistic version of ants designs. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk properly about the the bombshells line. How did it come about and where did your involvement with it start? Um, DC contacted me, oh, God, last, last summer, I think, um, or a little before last summer. And they said, hey, look, we've, we've got one piece that we want you working on. And that was the Silk Spectre. And then after that, we've got a line that we're envisioning that we think that you'd be a good, a good fit for. You know, would you be interested? And um, after kind of looking at, at what Ant was doing on his like um, girls and monsters illustrations, you know, I was just like, yeah, you know, that sounds great. Cause um, the stuff I was working on before, it's kind of like a mishmash of different styles. And um, in, in looking at, at Ant's work, I just thought, you know, this, I think this would be a good fit for us right now. Um, DC is a fantastic company to work with Um, prior to the Silk Spectre and the, and the bombshells line. The only other thing I had done for them was a blizzard project, which I had been told by colleagues, don't take on anything blizzard. I'm sorry, blizzard. If you guys are listening, uh, <laughs> uh they're, they're, they're a challenge to work with. Okay. Uh, they, they demand a lot of their artists. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, you know, DC had just recently gone through a restructuring Mm. and they had gone from like being out in the New York offices to now being in the LA offices. And, uh, it just, it felt right for the time. And, um, I, I, I can't praise them enough as far as a company to deal with a company to work with. They're spectacular. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, I, like I said, I liked Ant's work and, um, I, I love guys at DC. So it seemed like a good fit. So Ant is who, sorry. Aunt Lucia, A-N-T 
um, Lucia. Yep. Not, not your auntie Lucia. I get you. Yep. <laughs> Aunt Lucia, a pinup artist. He does. Okay. Most fantastic. Of, yep. Yeah. Most of his work is sort of a forties and fifties styled bomber styled artwork. You know, the type of stuff that you would expect to see splashed on the side of a B-52. And, um, you know, he's, his designs are just, they're very cool. Um, they're very dynamic. Hmm. And um, I kind of dig the anachronistic kind of stuff that goes on with his, with his work that he's doing for DC. So That's fantastic. Now, did, did you have to go and, and research pinups and, and really get into that? that art to to kind of make this happen or what they're familiar with like uh artists like gil elvgren um that i mean even even adam hughes is, has sort of referenced gil's work um gil was a uh, an artist that i mean if well google you'll you'll see and you'll be like oh my god yeah that's pinup that's that's the epitome of of pinup um and uh, so Ant's, Ant's work is, I hate to say the word derivative because it sounds so negative, but it's, it is derivative, but in the positive way, in the, in the right way um, of guys like Gil Elvgren that were designing stuff and, you know, that has this nod towards the 40s and 50s type of, type of artwork. And, um, you know, for me, uh, no, the research was, it was, it was minimal because again, with like, with the stuff that I'm doing for the bombshells line, I will mostly reference ants work. And I always bring in live models to, to kind of hold, hold the pose and I'll take, you know, a couple of hundred photos, you know, basically create an, uh, a, uh, a visual catalog of every body part so that when I'm sculpting, ants design i make sure that i've got the anatomy right and um so it's not so much like going and and researching online yeah you know the um the bomb or the pinup styled art mm-hmm. uh, he's a really talented i just wanted to clarify for people who weren't familiar with him because he's a a really talented artist my comic shop here in melbourne actually sells his prints mm. and um you know it's it, he does a a wide range of stuff that's taking that, um, you know, very fifties style, um, presentation, but taking modern stuff into it. I've seen some star Wars stuff and, um, you know, he's, he's incredibly clever in what he does. So to see then that being translated to something 3d is really exciting. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been fun to work on this or on his designs because, um, you know, I think that what he does, it's innovative, but it's also a nod to the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. So it's 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 been a it's been a great a, a great line to work on, and I'm excited about the pieces that we've got coming up. So we have seen um, Wonder Woman and Supergirl are now up for order, mm-hmm. um, and we've seen Poison Ivy at Toy Fair as well. Um, what was which one was the first piece that you started working on? It was the Wonder Woman. Okay. And- um, and that would have been probably July of this last year. Okay. And, and um, I, again, I've, I've just been really excited to work on ants designs. I think that, um, they're fun. Uh, I like, I like the nod to the past and, uh, I, you know, they've, I, I think they've translated really well. I think that the paintwork that Jason wires has done on them has been fantastic. And I, you know, even as someone that doesn't collect this this genre of stuff, uh, I'm excited to see how they come out in production. Now, with the Wonder Woman, um, she's I'm trying to think of how to say this. She's more <laughs> in the proportions of what you would think of as as a woman in the the 40s and 50s, and not today's you know comic book style of art in a statue that you normally see. I mean, it, it's not that anime waif ultra thin girl there. It, did that take some adjusting to get sculpting or? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm probably more drawn towards sculpting the, uh, uh the svelte or, um, or pixie figure, hmm. 
the pixie figure with boobs. Uh, <laughs> Such a common ignore, physical type in real life. Yes. Can't ignore the obvious. <laughs> and what's funny about it is too, is like a lot of the models that I end up working with every once in a while, we'll work with a model that's very, that's very chesty, but like most of the models I work with, they're, you know, air B cups. And then I have to like, you know, sort of extrapolate the, the bra size. But, um, you know, this, that's, that has been one of the challenges with the line is doing something that's more along the lines of like a Marilyn Monroe figure. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely one that I favor the super tiny rib cage. And, uh, for those, I mean, like the, that might sound like an odd, odd comment, but tiny rib cages are, are one of the, the standbys for doing the very sexy female figures. Hmm. Uh, um, and it's, so it's been a challenge, but, um, but I, I think, you know, again, going back to that whole maturing as a sculptor thing, I think it's been good for me. You mentioned before we started recording that this is a line that has really gotten you excited in your work. Um, why, why do you think that is? Um, probably, probably uh, a couple of ish, a couple of things. Um, DC is wonderful to work with. I I can't sing their praises. Um, they're just they're they're such a great company to work with. They're very professional in in how they deal with their talent. And, um, you know, any, any changes that are ever made and there are always changes. That's, mm. that's just expected. Um, they're always very clear and concise. Um, and I think the other thing is that it's, you know, it's been great to work on ants line. Um, you know, I, I have a great deal of respect for ant and the work that he's doing and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's been a, it's been a fun line to work on and, sometimes doing these things we were kind of talking about like the the medical school and or you know being a doctor and the different types of stress um for the most part working with dc and ant has been virtually stress-free hmm. yeah that's fantastic one thing that we I've noticed, and John John actually pointed this out to me looking at your um deviant art page the wonder woman looks like it originally had a different base um, with a part of a, an airplane. And these now have a, a more standard base with a nameplate. Um, how, did, how did that change come about? Um, I, I think ultimately uh, the powers that be at DC decided that they wanted a standardized base for all of these pieces. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from, from the financial standpoint, it, totally makes sense. Um, there's a company that we're, we're working with that I can't talk about who they are yet, but we're going to be doing some very exciting things with them. Um, they want to make their product very accessible financially to, to their fan base. Hmm. And so one of the very first things that we suggested is standardizing, a, a standardizing the base hmm. that it just, it does, it does cost cut cost, excuse me. Um, and I, I think that, you know, ultimately that's what DC was looking at is they want to keep these things affordable for their fan base and standardizing a base is, is probably the first and foremost you can do for that. Hmm. Uh, um, yeah. And it was the same thing for Supergirl. Supergirl had a, had a fun base that she was sort of, uh, standing on top of, a. Um, it was almost like a, uh, a, an airplane engine with a prop. And what was fun about it was you could spin the prop. Um, but oh, they, that been neat. It, it really was, it was a neat, it was a neat concept, but they, they ultimately, again, um, in, in, in the decision to keep things affordable for, for the fan base, they decided to go with the, uh, the standardized base. So hmm. to be honest, I thought that was intentional with her. Cause I thought it was trying to, to play off the Marilyn Monroe photo with her standing on the grate. When I right? saw Supergirl. Yeah. <laughs> I really did. That, that was I, the I plan thought that's what it was. Wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. That was, that was the plan all along. <laughs> 
just toying with you. Yeah, I, I don't mind it. I think you know, if we hadn't seen that um, that other base, you wouldn't kind of think twice about it. And it obviously, yeah, it does make sense from a financial standpoint. Yeah, and you know, I, you know, every company under the sun, every single company is going to make some decision at some point about like, okay, what's going to make more, what's going to make the most sense that it's going to make the piece the most affordable. Huh. And, um, you know, so I, I don't fault DC at all. I think, I think it's a good decision. I think it's a very sound decision. They're a smart company. They really are. And, um, you know, uh, I honestly, I, I really, and I could say something bad about virtually every client I've, I've had, <laughs> With the exception of DC, hmm. they're absolutely fantastic. That's so. great. Um, the in terms of the the line for the future, um, you know, we've seen Poison Ivy at, at Toy Fair. Obviously, you're limited in what you um, can talk about. But how far down the line do the plans go for this this particular line? Um, the official word is as long as the line is successful. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I've, you know, everybody's seen Ivy. Mm. I've already got the next one. I'm actually wrapping her up today. Um, and I've already started on the one after that. So, um, I'm very excited about the line. The piece that I've, that I'm wrapping up today, um, I couldn't be more excited about. I think, I think she's the best in the line so far. And the one that I'm, I'm, I've already started for the the next piece. She's absolutely spectacular. Wow. Um, the guys at DC, uh, they work really closely with Ant on the designs. And I think between, um, between Brian Walters at DC and Aunt Lucia, they've, they've just, they're continuing to come up with better and better ideas that are just awesome. <laughs> um, from a, a comic collector's perspective, um, because DC Collectibles is really focusing on their their new stuff, the new Fifty Two stuff, it's it's great to see them producing something that is um, not grounded in that. Um, you know, so it's just the fact that it's a different sort of line that's so unexpected. I think is something that's got people excited about it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, Go ahead. Like I said I'm not I'm not a statue collector, and and I'm I'm definitely intrigued by these just because. You know the the art style. It, it's fantastic what you guys have pulled off. Thank you. Um, I I've been and again I, I'm kind of in John's in John's camp that I've never really been a collector, but I've been really excited to to work on this. That said, I I actually can't wait to work on new Fifty Two stuff. Hmm. Uh, you know we've we've kind of had. Uh, I've I've had discussions with some of the guys at DC about you know future plans and things besides just the bombshell line, and uh, I'm I'm thrilled about what's coming. Uh, that's great. I mean, you know, while probably you know my sensibilities lie more with the classic stuff, I'm really thrilled to see that DC Collectibles is continuing their output and, and in fact kind of increasing it um you know when you look at some of their, their new solicits and it all buds well for us as collectors because not not everything is going to be um stuff that you like but as long as they're still producing stuff it increases the chances that you are going to like some of what comes out and that's good for us as collectors and Absolutely. yeah you know and and i think one of the things is they're not just doing new 52 stuff no um, you know, uh, of course, you, you know, they've got guys like Gene St. Jean doing some of the new Superman stuff, which I absolutely love. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I love too. It's a, it's a hot topic on our show because somebody else thinks that they look like Christmas ornaments cause they're metallic. Uh, but see, like I, from my perspective, I love that. Me too. I, I absolutely think it's, it's fantastic or like the uh the frank miller stuff that tim bruckner is doing from the uh uh return of the dark knight is just phenomenal and i'm you know tim tim's a friend we we converse online occasionally um gene's an old friend because he was the one that hired me initially for um to work with mcfarland for years 
Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of both of their work and, um, you know, I, I love seeing the stuff that Gene's doing. That's, that's the new 52. Um, I love seeing the, the old stuff that Tim is doing well. And I shouldn't say just the old stuff because he's done stuff like he's done some green lantern pieces and Mm -hmm. some other pieces. Uh, Tim, as far as I'm concerned, as far as doing like environmental kind of stuff or like elemental stuff in particular, he'll do like these like rocket blasts and, you know, weird energy type things. And like, I look at it and I drool. (laughs) Uh, The stuff that they're doing is, is really fantastic. And I think they've, I think they're offering something for everybody. Yes. Yeah. John, did you have any other questions about the bombshells? Um, no, just, uh, just to just say thing, you know, fantastic job. I I'm, I'm just really, really impressed. Um, I think you've answered most of my questions in, in the course of talking here. Um, I hadn't seen about the boobs or the butts. No, no not really. I, I, <laughs> <that's>... <laughs> These are good for for me because I am a statue collector. I don't really um, display action figures, and uh, but I'm also um, a dad of two young girls, and one of the um, you know ongoing discussions I have with my wife is some of the you know there's some things that I like that I just can't collect because they're not stuff that I can display, you know, and put next to my kids and say, you should have a healthy body image. Right. Right. Um, and then you've got like this, you know, really, uh, uber sexy figure that, you know, no, you know, I, and it's funny too, because a lot of the, the models I work with and I work with, you know, models that either play for, you know, they pose for playboy or their bikini models and, you know, things like that. And they, still tell me, oh, we wish we had, we had figures like this. Mm. And, you know, I, I make no qualms about what I sculpt as fantasy. Mm. There's, Mm. there aren't, there's, there's such a small subset of women that have physiques that are even remotely close to, to what I sculpt. And, um, so I think that's, I think that's healthy. I think that it's healthy that, that people have that attitude. Like, you know, this is uh, this is fantasy. Yes, in the same way that comic books are fantasy. Exactly, and the male physiques are as well. You Absolutely, know, you know, so Absolutely. It, everyone focuses on the the female side, and um, you know, there's reasons for that. But the male physiques are just as unrealistic, and um, you know, it, it goes both ways. <laughs> yeah, it really does, and you're you're going to be hard pressed to find even a male bo- a professional male bodybuilder that has a physique that's cl- anywhere close to how Batman or Superman are drawn. Oh yeah. Because they're still not going to have like the, the Uber thin waistlines that, that Batman and Superman are drawn with. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's healthy to, to recognize that this is fantasy hmm. and, um, you know, it's, I said, I, I, when I was on vacation in, in Vegas a couple of weeks ago and um, we had a, a model that came out and shot with us and she was absolutely spectacular. Her name is Joni Brosis and uh, we'll be using her for some of the video game stuff that we're doing coming up and um, and then we'll probably end up doing a couple of pieces that are specifically her. But, um, you know, and like I said, this is a this is a Playboy model. And she said, I'm totally okay with you. And she's probably a B cup breast. And she said to me, you know, I'm totally okay with you making my breast size bigger Hmm. for, you know, for the nature of the piece. Thank you, John. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And, and she's just, she's an amazingly gorgeous woman, but she knows that if she's going to be turned into a, a sculpture, she's, there's, probably things that are going to be shifted around and changed a bit. Um, you know, and that's just, that's the nature of the business. We're, like I said, we're not sculpting realism. If you want to, if you want a realistic sculpture, uh, you know, look at a, an anatomic model or something. (laughs) These are, these are a good, you know, happy medium for me because they're chaste enough to, to pass the wife test. So yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we've been very vocal about. I've, I've not done a nude or a topless piece and I probably won't ever need to do a nude or topless piece. I don't just, I, I just, not that I have a problem with that. It's just, 
you know, you increase your, you know, you, you increase your audience as long as you're, you know, safe. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think this is a line that is actually going to appeal to a much wider audience. Um, like, like John mentioned, he's not really a statue person, but he could see himself maybe buying one of these just because, you know, it's something that is, uh, has got a particular, um, bent to it that is going to draw in people that wouldn't normally look twice at a DC statue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, as far as I'm concerned, as, a, as, as an artist myself, that's really what I'm shooting for. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I've kind of referenced this, this video game company a couple of times now that, that we're working with, um, that, you know, I, I want people to look at the sculptures that we're producing and saying, you know what, I don't care about the video game. I don't care about, you know, um, I don't play this type of game. Um, and I'm, I may not even necessarily be a collector, but this is such a cool piece. I want to have it in my home anyway. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of where I like to, I like to place myself with the sculpting in, in general is, you know, whether or not people are collectors, whether or not, whether or not people are into comic books or, you know, the source material for, for the sculpture, I want people to just look at it and go like, oh, wow, that's so cool. I don't, I don't know the character, but I, I want it anyway. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, just in wrapping up, one thing that we always like to ask is just, you know, you're, for yourself, what do you do when you're not doing this? What sort of hobbies or interests do you have or how do you relax besides when you're not doing work? Uh, I hate this question. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I don't know that I have any real hobbies that I commit to. Um, I, I probably like a lot of the sculptors in this industry. A lot of these guys are such hard workers, you know, again, referencing guys like Joe Mena or Mark Newman, that we all work inhuman hours Mm -hmm. on this stuff. And I, I think a big part of that is, you know, when you get to work on the cool stuff, when you get to work on the, the, the properties that everybody else wants to work on, you try to take care of it Mm -hmm. and, you do end up working very, very long hours. Um, for my free time, I spend about three or so hours in the evening with my wife, just kind of vegging out, watching television and we'll watch stuff like, uh, breaking bad or sons of anarchy or, or recently we've gotten into mad men. Hmm. Uh, um, and I can all, I can blame all of my colleagues on, on all of these addictions. Uh, <laughs> Trevor Grove's responsible for us watching Breaking Bad. Adam Hughes is responsible for us watching Mad Men. And I don't know which one of these jokers got us into Sons of Anarchy. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, we, we'll usually spend a few hours in the evening watching stuff like that or, you know, or Grey's Anatomy. Um, and then I put her to bed and I, I'll get back to work. Occasionally I'll spend a little bit of time, um, playing games like, uh, like call of duty, black ops Two. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's a guilty pleasure. I don't get to spend as much time. I, you know, one of my, one of my apprentices, he's really into Korean culture and into like the whole esports phenomenon that's been taking off. And, um, I, <laughs> You know, there's probably there's probably a brain cell or two that would love to be a professional video game player, <laughs> but then the rest of my brain cells would feel guilty about not actually getting stuff accomplished. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's you know. So, uh, I, since you mentioned video games, I have to ask: Were you a Tomb Raider player before sculpting Lara, or uh, did that oh, come? I did play the, I actually bought my very first PlayStation because the the original Tomb Raider was coming out. I want to say it was probably 95 or 96, somewhere in there. Um, And that was, that was sort of like a gift to myself to play the original Tomb Raider. And um, I've gotten a kick out of work on working on a couple of the Tomb Raider pieces. Um, There's, let's see, there's actually been three. I, I worked on one with Tony Cipriano. God, who knows how long ago it was, uh, I know that 
Sideshow did a, an exclusive with the Excalibur sword. And uh, Tony did most of the body or did uh, actually did virtually all of the body. I did the head on that piece. And uh, then the subsequent two Adam Hughes pieces. Um, and yeah, that was total. That was a total fanboy moment for me mm-hmm. for both pieces. Um, I haven't played any of the recent video games. Um, again, you know, when you don't have a whole lot of time to play video games, you, you kind of pick a couple that you can get kind of good at. So like for a while I was only playing Red Dead Redemption and now it's just Black Ops 2. Um, but I will say this about Black Ops 2. Um, Treyarch totally fumbled by doing the whole um, uh, lag compensation. Treyarch, if you guys are listening, when I see you at a convention, I'm going to have a few sharp words for you because I, <laughs> I have a great internet connection and it absolutely irritates me to no end that I'm hobbled from my great internet connection. So. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Well, Tim, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It has been absolutely fantastic to catch up. And uh, I feel like we've only covered half of um, what we could have chatted about, so we may have to have you back sometime to go through the other half. (laughs) Absolutely delighted. You guys are fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Action Figure Blues podcast can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and downloaded direct at actionfigureblues.com by clicking on the podcast tab. If you do listen to us on iTunes, please take a moment to leave a positive rating and review. We also have an active fan forum at afbforum.com where you can join in with all of the hosts of the podcast and many other collectors to discuss news, new releases, old lines, and engage in trades and sales in a safe community. Please join us there. While you're at actionfigureblues.com, please don't forget to check out our sponsors like Mike's Comics and Stuff, ShelfLife.net, and the Pop Culture Superstore, who help keep our site running. You can also find us on Twitter at AFBlues and on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash actionfigureblues. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the Big Top Network.